You've reached Moody's Never Say Die Hard, a moonlighting podcast with Kevin and Chez. Each week we watch the next episode, available Friday, for you to download. For each break in the case, we have laughs for your face. For every twist and thrill, we have jokes that kill. Some fly by night, some fly by day. So let us now join Addison and Hayes. All major credit cards accepted. Welcome to Moody's Never Say Die Hard, the podcast where we talk about this week's episode of Moonlighting. Hi, Chaz. Hello, Moonlighting. Hi, Kevin. Um, we are Kevin and Chaz, two guys with lower register voices who just want to relive a nostalgic time of time of impending nuclear annihilation and mortal fear of red dye in M&M's. Do you remember wow. the red dye M&M's? Fear? I do. I remember that they weren't good, but they're, they're still red dye M&M's, right? There is red dye now. It took us three seconds going to tangent. This is a record <laughs> even for us. But yeah, there is red dye now. But there was a time, like from the late 70s to a little past moonlighting time. So this all works out well. So it all okay. falls into each other. Yeah. That, um, by the way, just want to point this out before we go further in the red dye number two thing. Just yeah, want yeah. to say a little on topic. This is the small talk opening part of our show when we try to endear ourselves to you, the listener. Show you so you'll hit and subscribe by talking, the like by talking about uh poison candy. We are talking about poison candy, but we're also talking about moonlighting. And then for okay. moonlighting, we're gonna get back to poison candy. But uh, this is the part where we try to endear ourselves to the listener, you the listener, so you'll hit the like and subscribe buttons and fill oh. the out gourds of our souls with the coconut milk of human kindness. We definitely oh souls was, gourds. That was so yeah, nice. They don't teach that anymore because science is dead in school. But yeah, they had the dye. It wasn't the dye M&M used, but they didn't want the bad publicity. So if you were a kid and you got an M&M bag and you found a red m and dye, you were supposed to hurl it into the fiery pit of hell and just move. <laughs> just move. There was a neighbor. You move. You burn all your belongings like the end of the uh, Velveteen Rabbit, and you just start anew. That's so it was, like, it was like bed bugs. It was like bedbugs. You just burn it all. You know, I think also Benicula ended in flames. I think if you had a children's book and you 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 could not be a Caldecott winner unless it ended in fire, a cleansing <laughs> fire. That's why if you see the original draft of Goodnight Moon, the little bunny is just staring at the in- inferno outside its window smiling because, Kevin, some people just like to watch the world burn. And uh, I mean, this might have also happened in Corduroy the Bear. I don't know. I didn't, it's, it's been a while since I read these books, but I think all of them end in a cleansing fire. Except for the giving tree, which should have. The giving tree should have. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we both agree on how the giving tree. You know what? See, this is actually, this is probably, the giving tree is probably a great Rorschach test of what you think, who do you think the problem is? Is it the <laughs> child or the tree? And frankly, it's both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the child, you, you just, no. And the tree, no, I'm using all the uh, DSM-5 psychological terms. No. But the, the point is, if you'd like a transcript of our ramble, please send five dot no eight thousand dollars to Mooney's Never Say yeah. Die Hard Venmo. Because I gotta I gotta hand type it, so I need to <laughs> I need to be compensated for that. And as we've learned, I say um a lot. So you're just gonna repeatedly I, I had to call it out. I'm sorry, I'm too You don't say um a lot because I edited them out to get our podcast under the file size that it needed to be. So <laughs> So you could just roll with it. People Chaz, are gonna be like, now there's ums. Gigabytes to 200 megabytes. Once I removed your ums, <laughs> we really did. We went down like 15 megs. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I, it was good. 
It was good. It was good. I'm glad we keep saying that we're in moonlighting because we just went off. Red dye number two, people. Came back in 87 when the show was still on, but it was already on. So it ties back. So this week, (laughs) (laughs) we watched Gunfight at the So-So Corral, which made me want to watch it just by the title. Oh, yeah. It's a great title. Oh, it's a great title. I I I posted this to Chez this morning, and I said, what happens if Hulu decides... They don't want to have moonlighting anymore. <laughs> and we're watching this week to week. We're not binging it. Oh, no, that's that's actually a very good point, because um, some people have asked us, you know, how does the show hold up overall? You know, is it uh, being from the 80s? Does it still work? Being from the 80s? Is it problematic? Being from the 80s? Is there a crossover with the snorks? I have no idea. And the answer is we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We don't know. We're watching it week by week, right before our podcast, basically replicating how we used to watch it as kids. Yeah. When we apparently had the patience of freaking and, sense. And that's why we're doing it that way. Not because you just said it and I realized that that's what we're doing. But yeah, that's that's why we're doing it. Yeah. To watch it weekly like we were kids. Yeah. And <laughs> you're, you're paying for premium Hulu, whereas I'm getting a cheap ass Hulu. Hulu's a wonderful program who we hope sponsors and our programs, uh, streaming site. Um, yeah, because, you know, honestly, as all the streaming channels are collapsing, if we do this right week by week, we're here until early 2025. That's right, people. You're in it for the long haul. We don't even know much less if the show's going to be on Hulu, if there's going to be a Hulu. There will be a Hulu. That's where I get my live TV. See, it's yeah, great right. for live TV. Me. I will say of all the live TV things, Hulu is the best one. We really want that sponsorship. Um, well, you you do live TV because of sports. Yes. I care not for the athletic competition. And that's okay. <laughs> See, and we're okay with each those, other. Those people need to exist. Did you uh, just pat me in the head or kind of do that toss of the hair? Yeah. I'm wearing a baseball cap. You go sport. And I'm like, yeah. I'm wearing the baseball cap. I don't like sports. I definitely called you sport. I definitely did in my head. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I heard it. I, I actually heard it. See, we've been friends for so long. We can hear things we're not saying to each other. Uh, it's called telepathy or probably something far more problematic. I don't know. <laughs> See, this is the point where we do have an age gap of what, about 12 years? 12 years. But we have found over time, and this over time would be sometimes starting around 2008, that we are essentially the same person. I mean, there are some differences. Uh, his life is together far more than mine is. But the, we are, what I'm saying is your life is going to crumble as it goes further. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are essentially the same person. It's like that Will Smith movie where he meets the earlier Will Smith and they both realize they're both not married to Jada Pinkett. That's what's called being current, people, kind that of. That was current. Yeah. That's how you know we didn't record these too early. Exactly. But now we hold up a newspaper away. with today's date. I like I like how our version is showing that this is fresh and new is essentially a hostage crisis. You know. <laughs> yeah. But newspapers, people buy them. My life depends on them, so buy them. So the uh, point. Is, this, so this what if Hulu no longer shows this show? Yeah. What do we do? Do we have that final week where we just frantically watch forty episodes? And we binge watch and go against the entire principle of this program? I think we could do that and still put it out weekly. The problem is, is that we'll slowly start to forget each episode because they'll all blend together. But it'll still be it'll still be a fun 
podcast to do. I think we're in it no matter what, even if somehow yeah. we have to find DVDs. Yeah. And then, you know, I've still got a PlayStation hooked up so I can watch a DVD. Uh, it'll be worse if we have to get the VHS because the VHS may be the one with the music rights. Oh, you don't think there's music on the DVDs? I don't know, because when Northern Exposure uh, had the VHS tapes, which I had bought some, it had the music. The DVDs did not. Oh. And Northern Exposure relied on that music a lot. I mean, Chris in the morning. What I'm saying is, screw this. We're doing a Northern Exposure podcast. Oh. That's it. <laughs> Kevin and Ches in the morning. You you always come up with better titles. But yeah, this is. That was good. We're doing it. Oh, okay, so we'll continue. We'll move on. I don't. I, we're going to do this no matter what because we are dedicated and we have discretionary time. Yeah. That's all you need to succeed in life. Dedication and the time that maybe should be put towards other things. I, I mean, I genuinely like that we're putting something out in the world every week. I, I do. Something positive. Yeah. Because we're positive people when it comes now here's, to... Here's what I didn't like about the first, the second episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good transition, Chaz. That was, that was smooth. <laughs> that, was, that was wonderful. I think, uh, you know what? You can see we're really becoming masters of the form. So regardless of what happens, like, specifically in this episode... Right. I'm lost already on... <laughs> who david addison is like are the writers still figuring it out as we go so how would you explain explain the i i know what you're saying yeah. but i'm gonna hear the explanation of what what is the core problem you're seeing with the david addison character right, so like one example is he spent the whole pilot trying to convince maddie that she should keep the detective business open right with that element that we pointed out of like he's philanthropic in the sense of he wants to keep uh, Agnes in a job and all those random employees that make up the detective. Which we'll discuss in a little little later that whole staff. Yeah, so like he cares about the staff and so he wants to keep the thing going and yet this episode pretty much starts with him watching Family Feud and he doesn't have any cases still. Like he didn't change. He kind of did what like a spoiled kid would do with his parents, which is give them a little bit. And then when they get off his back, then he can go back to like slacking off. I like and, the angle you brought there, the, the, the personal knowledge you brought to this. That's nice, but you're right. And so like, is part of it like that he he's an ad libber and they let him like improvise. So they're still finding David Addison. Like, did they do improv back then? Like, like, is he, is he winging it? Is this pre Del Close? I don't know. Yeah. Is he interested in Maddie or not? Because sometimes it seems like he is attracted to her and wants some time. And then other times he respects that she's a boss. There's a point in this episode where she hugs him and then he kind of like backs away from her and like goes about detectiving or whatever they do. It seems like they don't know who he is yet. Because if if you're if you care about the other people in the office and you did everything that they did in the pilot to keep the detective agency like this thing that should stay alive, you would think that on Maddie's first day, which is this episode, that she would like they would he would come into like a bustling detective agency. All guns are blazing. Let's get moving. Yeah. So like I'm lost on who David is and we won't find out for who knows how many weeks because <laughs> we're watching I mean, it one week at a time. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talking the actual narrative of linear time itself. I agree. I, that, that is a very good point that you picked up. I didn't I'm not initially. saying, I'm not saying he's not likable. Oh no, I'm he's still saying, likeable, Yeah. But... I just, I just don't know what they're doing with him. And I think that's a very good point because I think that is of, 
the show itself. I think they are trying to find because as we'll discuss with this episode, the the rhythm I believe is a little off on this episode. I enjoyed it, but if you're coming into moonlighting with the memories of it being a little frantic and fourth wall breaking and very musical and everything, this is this is the half step towards that, but nowhere near that. When we the car hasn't even pulled up to the red carpet to get to you know for the feet to feel that carpet and move her in that direction. And you know part of it is it's the second episode. So the second episode can you know if any series does two things. It's you know you've had the pilot. You've laid the groundwork. So then the beast gets on its feet and you see if it can, you know, entertain and engage or just breaks loose and kill the local populace. What I'm saying is I went too far with the Frankenstein monsters parallel. But the thing is, yeah, it it is still finding its feet. Hey, see, I turned about the feet. Yeah, yeah. it is. And feet actually plays a role in the opening. We do. We do start with feet, just like we do the, start with feet. We we, we yeah. start with two things that tell you not a good person right off the bat. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that in a moment. But I think so. There is a moment we're going to discuss later involving a dictionary where I'm going. What are they trying to s- wait? What's going on here? And we'll get to that. By the way, yeah. an actual dictionary gets cracked up. But I'm hoping in episode three they actually open up a Funk and Wagnalls encyclopedia. Uh, B for bad guy. Mur murder. Here we go. It is a matter of finding their way, and I think we'll find that happens in other episodes. I mean, in the first the pilot episode always is an easier entry point because it's a why this day, as we discussed. Yeah. Some, there's some inciting event, and it's why this day. Here, we can't have it, keep having a why this day. We have to build on that. And you're right, because when this, we're, we're going ahead and we're coming back, yeah, because, yeah. you know, uh, that, that really is what time. We're hitting our stride. That's what's happening. We're hitting, we are so solid. We, <laughs> we are so on point that I have to say, after 45 minutes of going, is your mic working? Is my mic working? Your mic working? Before you got to this, now we're just gold. Now I'm adding it all that out so that the file size is small. <laughs> oh no, but I, I want people to know about <laughs> us. Again, I want them to find us endearing. We are desperate, desperate souls who need No, you. I meant I'm editing out all the microphone testing we did for half an hour. <laughs> oh no, I know that, but I want people to know about it so they can yeah. see the behind the scenes. Yeah, it works right they, away. They can they can they can see podcast wise behind the scenes. <laughs> this episode essentially Maddie is really excited to get to work. Yes. And you feel that. Even yes. she even Willingly deals with L.A. traffic. I guess if you in L.A., that you've got no choice. She willingly deals with elevated traffic. So much about elevators in this series. Because we saw the elevator chase last time. And she's ready to go. And she comes in. And the cast of 400 people who do <laughs> yeah. not. Here's the thing. If you in the 80s and as an actor, your goal was to be an under five line actor whose entire purpose is to turn set dressing into pop prop by holding up a stapler. This was the series for you. Oh, yeah. Just so many people in the background doing nothing. But, by the way, we're going to find out this 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 uh, episode for our podcast is chock full of guest stars. Not on our podcast itself. This is episode <laughs> two, and I don't even know if my mom's listening. But the episode itself, but here... Yeah, he posted it on his Instagram a couple days ago. But Doug Benson of Doug Loves Movies fame, he was an extra. He was one of the people in the background, so... If you go to his Instagram, he he put a clip up from the episode of all his appearances and put little arrows to show where he was in the background. And the first time you see him, they're playing cards because, yeah. no one, like you said, no one is doing anything. You would think this would be a bustling hive of activity. And Maddie's alarm 
went off to Tutti Fruity, where she, you know she's coming in hot. Because if you wake up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. to Tutti Fruity, your day is... It's, you, you, don't, you don't slow down after that. No. It's, it's a matter of, by the way, this showed that they, uh, they paid rights for the music. Yeah. But I'm saying no one has a slow day starting off with Little Richard. No. I'm, I'm, I don't remember if this was if it was the Little Richard recording, by the way, but I believe it was. I believe it was the original one. It was probably Bruce uh, Willis. <laughs> a lot of harmonica. It, it was the point where Sybil Shepherd already wanted to kill him. By the way, I do notice in the opening credits, Sybil Shepherd's name is first and then Bruce Willis, which makes perfect sense. She yeah. is a commodity. We're going to I don't know. We're not jumping ahead in episodes. If later they do that. Remember, like in Cheers, it was Ted Danson and Shelley Long, where Ted Danson's name was first, but lower. And Shelley Long's name was second, but higher. And that's how you always did the parody. One name had to be first because it's two on a thing, but one was elevated. So I don't know if later that's what happens. Uh, I don't know. But here, it clearly still is. This is a Sybil Shepherd vehicle. She is the first of the main characters we see. And she comes in, and she is rightfully alarmed. Yeah, there's nothing going on. But before we get to this... Oh, yeah, we should meet... No, 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 I like this. I like this. We We should meet our bad guy, right? Yeah, I'm sorry? We should meet the bad guy? Or the first first supposed bad guy? Yeah, we we should meet the bad guy. We We should open the episode. And like a lot of mystery shows and such, uh, you see the crime. Well, not always perpetrated that you know who it is, but you see something goes on. This isn't a, I guess this isn't, well, I guess it's like a Columbo. You know who's doing what. You're just not going to, you know. Yeah, I mean. So that's it. It's Columbo. You know what? Screw this. We're doing a Columbo podcast. I don't know the name of that one yet. Just one more thing. See, this is why you're the master at this. I love it. Just one more thing. You know, okay, I feel I feel like we got our system back to moonlighting. Go. So we start with an ominous bus pulling up to the bus stop. It's and dark. And buses are never good. No. There is not, especially there is, I'm going to be honest, especially in L.A., buses are never good. Because what has happened good on a bus? I mean, speed. Speed not wasn't good. good. Yeah. There's a fight sequence in Nobody that happens on. There's a fight sequence in, Sh- in what's the Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings that yeah, goes think- on. And also the underrated Robert Downey Jr. movie Hearts and Souls. 80% of the cash just dies on the bus. <laughs> They're back in it, but they just go off an overpass. What I'm saying is that's actually a nice movie. Watch Hearts and Souls. It's actually an endearing movie. I don't, I don't know I why that came to head. I have not seen it. It's fun. It's actually, but I have no idea what, but we just went on buses and they were all, I don't know if that one's L.A., but buses are not good signs. And here it is at night and you're right. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then uh, we get the, our shot of feet. So coming coming off the bus, we get cowboy boots. We get cowboy boots late at night walking the Tarantino track fetish tracking shot of Jess Fee. Look, yeah. their, their shoes are on, so it would do nothing for him. So, you it's know, a, it's, it's a man like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing, you know, yeah, that's right. It wouldn't matter. You know, bus at night, sax music in the background, yeah. feet shot. You know, this person is up to no good. Yep. There's nothing, there can be nothing good about that. In fact, when I looked at that, I said, I saw a bus, I saw a foot, and this is the actual note I have. And this, this is the exact thing. He's going to shoot someone. They overlaid the title over the cowboy boots, which was good. Because again, it's gunfight at the So-So Corral. Oh, nice. So that was like a nice, I like that. Yeah. And then we slowly pan up the body of this maybe bad guy for so long. Like we were on the feet forever. Then we worked our way up to like the waist and then we stopped at the neck, and then and then we finally see yeah. then we finally see that it's a very young Tim Robbins. 
Which explains why it took so long, because he's like six foot eleven. <laughs> he's a tall, tall man. Yeah. It also shows that we're in a hospital, which I wasn't quite sure where he was. Going. I wasn't sure where he was either. I thought he was uh, in an apartment building. This and is he a has very a, cozy hospital. He has a huge flower basket, like huge. Now I will say this because, and I'm not trying. I'm actually saying what my notes were. I'm not trying to give yeah, away yeah. stuff. But because I assumed feet bust late at night, sack solo, he's going to kill someone. I saw the flower basket. and I go, guns in the flower basket. That is actually my note. And so he goes to kill somebody who will introduce soon but like he pulls like this small gun out of this gigantic flower basket that he could have pulled a a whole cannon out of the (laughs) out of the flower basket i mean you know daisies can only hide a howitzer so much (laughs) but we will say this so yes so this is our first guest star probably the biggest name we're going to come out of this trust me it will be the biggest name 20 around 27 years old now prior to this i did a little research Okay. Let's do this because occasionally I guess we should. And we do. We are, we're good at this. That's how I knew. Uh, actually, I didn't know research on Red Dog. That just came out at the moment. He was in two films. One called Fraternity Vacation. Okay. Which yeah. I'm sure was the Golden Lion Award winner yeah. at the Venice Film Festival. And a small role in The Sure Thing, which is actually a good movie. The John Cusack Sure Thing. Okay. And uh, both of them of the 80s gotta get some genre. Explain. Where the whole point is you gotta get your sex. Oh, okay, yeah. Horny horny college kids yeah. getting their sex. Uh, the short thing is better in part because, if I do remember correctly, the short thing is based on the movie. It's essentially the same plot of It Happened One Night, which is a Clark Gable movie, which It Happened One Night, and this is completely pointless in coming off the top, I believe it was the first film to win the top five Academy Awards, which would be actor, actress, director, best picture, and best screenplay. Is It Happened One Night the one where... Catherine Hepburn has the leopard. It happened one. It happened one night. It's from like 1938. It's with Clark Cable, and I'm forgetting who else. Yeah, which one so am it, I thinking of? It's oh, bringing uh, up baby. Is that bring, bringing up bring, baby? But bringing up baby is from the 50s with I believe Cary Grant. Okay, we're working. We're, we're slowly working towards it. Old is old, Chess. Old is old. I know the 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 olds. The old. <laughs> bringing up babies from 1938. Yeah. It's it's an old film. It happened one night. Is it happened one night's from? Oh, I I heard it the other way. I actually thought I was right for a second. I should have known. What did, what did you hear? I thought that bringing you said bringing up baby was from the fifties and the other one was from the thirties. You know what? I actually <laughs> didn't. I was mistaken with bringing up baby. No, no, you heard correctly. And no, I was no, mistaken. I don't. We were both right. We were both right in our own way. Okay, you know great. why? Because we're essentially the same. But the Will Smith thing. Oh, again, we probably shouldn't keep keep comparing ourselves there. But yeah, no, it, let's 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 keep comparing ourselves to Will Smith. To Will let's Smith. do that. <laughs> Just hammer that home. I think that can only be good. Thing. Here's five more ways I'm like Will Smith. <laughs> what I'm saying is because of our somewhat age gap, we get to bring two different perspectives. I bring the perspective of a white guy and you bring the perspective of a white guy it just colors the whole field we just get the full spectrum (laughs) speaking of white guys tim robbins tim robbins who now this is prior before howard the duck which i do remember him in howard i was gonna say bull durham i was gonna say bull durham but yeah bull durham is his breakout between between howard the duck and bull durham he also i believe is in top gun a movie i have not I never saw Top Gun. I saw Top Gun Maverick. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but they gave me enough details that I go, you know what? I remember the Berlin song. I don't need to see the full movie. The Berlin song, I'm forgetting it. Uh, what is the Berlin song name? You think I would take, know. Cause take like, My Breath Away? Take My Breath Away, which I always called the Boing Boing song to the point that I actually forgot the original. Cause the <laughs> boing, boing. Oh, okay. 
So yeah, so he comes yeah. in, he comes into the hospital room, basket, pulls out a gun, and there is an old man in the bed coughing. I labeled him throughout my notes as Boss Hog. But he wasn't Boss Hog. He's not Boss Hog, but that's who he was in my notes because I don't I didn't really know who he was. I saw that he was in Murphy Brown, but I've never seen He well, it makes sense. Uh he he was the bartender in Murphy Brown. Okay. The voice. The Boss Hog actor. Oh god, who was the what was the because the boss hog actor, if I if I'm not mistaken, was actually a Shakespearean actor. Okay. Voice was very different. The boss hog character was very out of well character for him. But now we're through the magic. Uh, Sorrel Brooks was boss hog, and that's not who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, boss hog is in the bed. <laughs> He's not feeling well. Pat Corley. Pat Corley is our actor. Tim Robbins is gonna kill him, but boss hog was ready. And takes him out with a bedpan that, uh, nicely, they still make bedpans in the 80s that were metal, so you could take out a would-be killer. Are they, are they're plastic now, right? I think they're plastic now, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right, so it was a good, solid heft to that. Yeah, yeah. Empty, thankfully. Which led to another you know. chase scene that you don't think you would ever see. Like, we had the elevator chase scene in the pilot, yeah. and now we have Tim Robbins running away from a guy dragging his IV cart. And with, with, the IV, with the IV pole in one hand yeah. and a gun in the other. And it was it was just through the halls of the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it, it was almost like an early, you'd almost expect to see this like in an early Cohen's brother moment. Yeah. It, it was beautiful. I didn't know throughout this. No music. Not even that Dun Dun Chase music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The You're only right. thing you heard was the scraping of that IV thing, which I thought was a nice touch. And it ends in a laundry room because from movies and TV shows, 80% of a prison or a hospital is the laundry room. You always end up in the laundry room. And then we find out that Tim Robbins was there to kill him for some reason that we don't know yet. And then Boss Hog throws him, knocks him out, and throws him down the laundry chute. I will say Murphy Brown, and you will say Murphy Brown bartender, you will say Boss Hog. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he kills him, though, does he? No, he, he just knocks him out. He just yeah. knocks him out. And her Now, Tim Robbins, as we discussed earlier, tall, tall individual. Yeah. I'm sure he did not make it all the way down that laundry chute. I'm <laughs> sure jammed up. Like the, like Phoebe Cates' dad, when she tells that story in Gremlins about how the dad pretended to be Santa Claus and got, yeah. and got stuck in the uh, the chimney. By the way, Gremlins and the heart ripping from children scene from Temple of Doom is how he got PG-13 people. But, and he probably did get stuck because we never see him again. <laughs> Never thought, there's never a story about him, just nothing. They never mention it the rest of the episode. That that is the appearance of Tim Robbins in Moonlight. Knocked unconscious by a man still connected to his IV. And then and so they have this they have this whole chase, loud chase. Like there had to have been clanging and punching and things fell in the laundry room. Right. The the IV thing you told me like squeaked. Yeah, rattled uh, on the wheels and the on the casters. When, when he goes back to his hospital room, he picks up the IV so it doesn't make noise. So yeah. like, oh, he wow. makes all Good that catch. noise. Good catch. All that noise, and he picks it up so that he could sneak back to his hospital room. I mean, if the nurses haven't come by this point, they're not coming. Something happened at the hospital. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the lights I, are out. Like, it's an abandoned hospital that this guy decided to go be sick in. It's sort of like the opening to 28 Days Later. Everyone else is dead or a zombie. It's true, because you yeah. don't see anybody else. 
and there's a thousand people at the detective agency. (laughs) There is not a single person working at this hospital. They should not do an under five actor dressed as a nurse uh, in this scene. (laughs) And to the point that it is so dimly lit and so quiet, it looked less like a hospital and more like they shot it at a middle school at night. Yeah. It actually looked like a middle school hallway more than anything else. And I understand budget concerns. And, you know, because the outside looked like an apartment building, the interior looked like a middle school. At no point, except for the fact that this old man's running around with an IV and there was a <laughs> hospital bed and there was a clipboard on his door at the beginning, which it's not not the most significant prop, you know, but you say this is a hospital. I wouldn't have known. There was nothing <laughs> that said hospital. At least there was nothing that said it accredited hospital. <laughs> nothing that looks like it was taking insurance. It, maybe it was like a mob doctor hospital, but nothing that looked like it took insurance or even could afford those little paper cups for the pills. Yeah. And Tim Robbins is gone for the episode. That is the it, whole people. time. He that spends the so- rest of the six seasons or five seasons of movie Jam. jammed in. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, Just, maybe they'll find him. Maybe like... We don't Maybe. know. As we discussed yeah. earlier, we have not we we are not binge watching. We are not. I'm going to assume no. But if that's a callback, one of the most uh. magnificent callbacks <laughs> you could ever do. Now, another thing which will become more prominent as this episode goes along is uh, contract killers, because Tim Robbins, we don't know if he's hired, but he clearly is. He's from Detroit. He's from Detroit. So which, by the way, which leads me to a question. I don't know what Detroit pizza is, but it's big. I didn't either. Do You know what it is now? No. We'll, we'll bartend our own. We'll bartend. We'll, we'll Google on our own time. Someone out there right now. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to explain it. Oh, no, I don't. So because both, it just, no, no, okay, not everything it. is prepared, Kevin. As I no, said, you guys riff. I thought, I thought maybe you I don't know what Detroit pizza is. And to the point that uh, I'm going to do this and make sure I don't actually, you know, Google Dr. Detroit. And that'll be a whole other thing. Uh, a movie I also didn't see. What makes Detroit pizza different? Because people, you don't just laugh, you learn with it. It's huh? rectangular. Yeah, but rectangular is so many pizzas. But it's a thin rectangular, so it's not Sicilian. Right. But here's the crucial thing. Layers the crust with cheese and toppings below the sauce. Whereas other pizzas, the sauce is the base, just like the pilot was the base for this series, and we build upon it with the second episode. This is uh, uses Wisconsin brick cheese. As opposed to say mozzarella, so uh, knows how I tried to be Italian there. In a that moment. was very, that was very Italian. That yeah. was very good because I didn't want to do mozzarella. You know, um, it's like the Italians like gabagool, and you sort of like I think there's a there's Italian, a there's a happy medium. <laughs> it's like you could be Italian, but you could also keep that that last vowel. Yeah, yeah, you have to, you know, you yeah. because which is which is unusual because I'm from Long Island and we just turned the last vowels into ER. So um but yeah, that's what it is. So that's that's that is uh Detroit pizza. So okay. Tim Robbins who we assume had just eaten Detroit pizza. He's from Detroit. Yeah, they say it in a way oh from Detroit that almost like we're supposed to think, wait, was RoboCop real? <laughs> Is, is it really a tough time over there? I mean, it's uh, it's I mean, I know, sadly, Detroit is used for shorthand for something, which is not fair. And uh, or maybe he just worked for Ford or, you know, another car company. I don't know. But yeah. But here's the thing. This is second episode in a row with a hired killer, a hired gun to the point that you begin to think it's like the John Wick movies where 80 percent of the population are assassins. <laughs> I'm beginning to think that. Contract killers in the 80s are like edible shops now. They're everywhere. It's every third. So we established in the pilot, the podcast pilot, that 
that everybody in the 80s was a private investigator, but everybody else was a contract killer. And that's how it that's how it works. That's how it just all works that's out. Else, that's how that's how that's that's how a civilization is born yeah. on a shared need. And <laughs> By the way, good point, because we're going to find out there are a lot of detective agencies because there's another one here yeah. across the street. <laughs> 20 not, floors not down. Like a, he had to go down 20 flights of stairs. We should set it up, though. <laughs> okay, okay, so rewind. So Maddie comes first in. Remember that, people? We're back to that. All right, oh, so yeah. Maddie comes. Yeah, see, we, we know what we're doing. As we said, we're on fire. We're golden. We're good. Maddie comes to work happy as a clam. Clams are yep. apparently an ecstatic creature. And she comes in, and Doug Benson and crew, they're doing nothing. They're playing poker. Yep. Agnes is uh, reading a book called Brave the Wild Wind, which is a real also, it's a real book. Well, oh, I would imagine so, because I didn't know if they had the money to fake a cover at this point. Okay, yeah. And so it is. A, is it a romance novel? Yes. It's not like it's a Clan of the Cave Bear kind of offshoot? No, deal. it's a legitimate, like, lusting for, you know, two people lusting for each other. So a very 80s thing of the woman reading a romance novel, yeah. which is also a sign, apparently, of not lots going on. Yeah. So poker and romance novels, which is yeah. essentially what we got here. So Agnes brings okay. Maddie to her office. Which is a nice office. Very nice office. Very nice office. So was there a computer on, on her desk? Don't remember. Because I'm not trying to even recall if Bruce Willis had a computer on his desk or if the computer was just for that episode in The Pirate. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Because they... It's a colossal cave adventure or whatever the hell was going on. But like yeah, you said, there's no internet. What are they going to do with it? Who knows? Who knows? They're what is both there to do? recipes because that was the one thing they'd advertise in the 80s. This is a great way to save recipes. Of course, being in the 80s, they do that comma, ladies. And, <laughs> and you just feel kind of it. And then Agnes tells Maddie about the schedule for the week, which oh, is that's glorious. The shoe shine guy comes at two, the hair lady comes once a week. The snack man, which sounds amazing, comes at yeah. 11. And then they have exercise class that they all Stapture. do every day. It was essentially a dot com community in 1999. Yeah. But in the 80s, where yeah. you just go, how is this functioning? But we are reminded that it this business was created as a tax write off, which is weird because in the pilot episode, which brings us back to the point of who is Bruce, who is David Addison. In the pilot episode, David Addison knew his job was to lose money and to do yes. nothing. He yeah. did point that out to the point. Here, She's wondering why they don't have cases, but the whole premise of this detective agency was not to do anything but lose money. So you would think she would be coming and going, okay, we have to get cases, as opposed to, as she says, why isn't the phone ringing? And the phone doesn't ring. Nothing's happening. Yeah. But she should know that. Well, we also don't know how much time has passed since the pilot. And... I would think not a lot, though, because she's excited to – this almost seems like her first day at work. And even though yeah, the pilot is going yeah. – the pilot is going to give me a day to think about it. We assume a day has passed, so maybe two days at the most. And also because she had lost everything else, she needs to occupy her time. And this would be a time. So I would imagine this couldn't have been upwards of a week. I would assume this is pretty, you know, maybe that happened on a Thursday. And then you give yourself a nice three-day weekend. It's the 80s. So Start you do Monday some, with Tutti Frutti and get to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the weekend was Reebok step classes or whatever thing in the 80s. You know, or maybe she watched Saturday morning cartoons. I did as an adult. So I don't know. Um, she doesn't strike me as the type who would. But she comes in, soft fabrics, large shoulders, yeah. very classic 80s outfit. We're going to see another classic 80s outfit in a moment. And she comes in and goes to Bruce Willis's office. Where he is watching 
Family Feud. I mean, they uh, actually show an episode of Family Feud, and yeah. he's he's involved in the Family Feud. And by the way, this is what we're going to bring up. And this is a little foreshadowing. If you think the TV screen presence of Richard Dawson, known for touching, grabbing, yeah. kissing, manhandling women, is a flare gun shot of what you might see in this episode, <laughs> you are right. Yeah, I mean, he says, go ahead. Put a kiss on her, Richard, or something, as he's watching it, right? As he's and, then, watch- and then, and then she does. He does kiss the contestant on Family Feud, which he always did. Like, which he always did. I mean, he yeah. he just he 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 touched, he kissed, he. It was it was a lot. Yeah. I remember even my dad, not the paragon of all things that was fantastic, you know, of all things progressive, but I remember my dad going, "This is weird, right?" <laughs> I remember thinking, because David in this episode makes a joke. He's like, why doesn't Richard Dawson ever kiss the male contestants? Yeah, I have that note. Uh, as a kid, yeah. I thought, well, why doesn't he do that either? Being the 80s, you ask that question out loud, you don't have a pleasant day in middle school, unfortunately, because the 80s not the best time. <laughs> and, uh, excuse, excuse me, recess friends. <laughs> is that what exactly. happened? Just <laughs> me, fellow recess friends. Have you ever wondered... Why is that problematic? Why why do we have a hang up on this? And then Chez ends up with bruises as he shows uh, his understanding of social. All stuff. the nuggies. Just all the nuggies. All the nuggies. Oh, it just what I what okay. So the point we're saying is 80s problematic. We know that. Now I will say that the rest of the scene is uh Maddie being like sort of upset that there's no rights. Upset Rightfully, that, yet curiously so, given what yeah, we just said earlier. Upset that David is just watching Family Feud in his office and not trying to find cases or anything. Doing zero. David has to, you know, sweet talk her into saying everything's cool, everything's fine. And he does what I think he's going to do for the rest of the series as he steers her like a boat. Like anywhere that she tries to go... He puts his arm around her and like guides her to where he wants her to be. Oh, now, guiding is big in this. The only reason I will say that it didn't overly bother me is because Maddie seems to be just amused by it. To me, she has like the smirk on her face that she's in on it. So like she's not bothered. She seems like the kind of person that if she didn't want David to do that, she would not let him do that. Which I'm not really saying that he shouldn't, like, do no, it. No, we're not condoning this attitude. But, like, what I'm saying is, is that she seems to be allowing it. It is, yeah, not, I mean... You know, like, but she seems to have this smirk on her face that she is amused by David, and she's going to give him some slack. Like, let the fish run a little bit. <laughs> and then if she doesn't like it, then fish he cuts known the for their running capability. Yeah. No, I know like, what you're she, saying, but... She yeah. seems to still be Real in control. It, it, yeah. I, th- I believe that she is in control, even though she's letting him have his fun. Right. Now, granted, we do have to keep in mind that we are two guys who may be yeah. giving give, giving a guy leeway that he shouldn't. Not the character itself. Not Obviously, we're not citing Bruce Willis in any regard, too. We're just citing an 80s television program where, yeah, she. I agree with that. I also agree that it's, it's, it's significant. It's a lot. Yeah, and it's, it's it's not it's not ideal. And but here's the thing: we can rightfully be thrown by it. We can be we can question it. I think all that is good. I think we can also go, okay, this isn't good at all. The one thing we can't actually be is shocked because yeah, but- shocked treats it as this was a something of a time. And sadly, no, it is not. This shit still <laughs> happens, and we know that. We um, but it is it's curious because in one way you're right. She does look like 
she does this and because she is guiding the conversation the entire yeah. time she is guiding the whole thing and i think they're trying to find that balance if they were to reshoot that scene could that work well and perhaps even better without that oh yeah probably could. yeah but, and is but, he a guy an 80s guy and he's going to do that yeah it is the 80s so it really yeah. does come in what you're going to bring into this and what you're expecting of this you're going to have to expect an 80s show by the fact that it is the 80s that does not mean it's okay it's a weird balance because you're right in one way it is not great in another way she is actually in control of the conversation yeah i think she's so, in control like which, at, at all which times guys who are just trying to figure this out along with everyone else and it's just like it's not it does happen but, a few times in this episode that's oh yeah that, yeah yeah but she seems to go along with it as opposed to being forced to do it like it's her business to me but she does point out and is a good thing for the viewer to know this is her business and she's trying to make sure they stay on topic just like someone would try with us here's the thing which brings back a good part to your question again is this someone who wants to save the business david is this someone who wants to show this value he spent the entire pilot saying we are a value i can do this and everything doesn't he say so he's a he good do? detective i think he says that in the pilot he says he's a good detective doesn't detective. he and he does do detective work he does yeah. detect as one detected in the 80s but here mm -hmm. Where she's going, this is problematic. We need a business. I don't know what's going on. Your hand's still on my back. He then goes off on a television show idea he has, which is essentially love boat <laughs> buses. Yeah. Buses. It all comes back to buses. You wouldn't think buses are such a big thing in L.A., but apparently. And it's weird. He just goes off on I mean, the, the, the writers are having fun. Yeah, he tries to jingle keys in front of her to get her distracted. Yeah. with this idea and she doesn't have anything to do with it that he has to get a client so he, he lies has to about get a client. this is after him this is this is where you're going to say from the 80s this is every day we do our 80s call out and he does a shout out for mclean stevenson of all people oh that's right yeah to be a star yeah. of bus station bus station now, i'm going to tell you by this point mclean stevenson wasn't on mash by this point mash wasn't on mash so even at that point it seemed a little of a dated reference and i'm going to be quite honest and then he mentions like guest stars in the show would be charo and tony orlando which are very much love both references. Yeah. But again, it seemed a little dated. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to say, if you were going to do a dated reference and you wanted a guest star and you wanted me to watch that show, then you know what, frankly, Meadowlark Lemon. Fred <laughs> Curley, Fred Curley, Neil. I, any, you know, if there was a, I'm being honest with you, and I'm not kind of, if there was a Globetrotter on a TV show in the 70s or 80s, I watched it. I love the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> this is how they suckered me into watching Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. Do you know of that? TV movie? I did not know that they were on Gilligan's Island. They were on Gilligan's Island. The Harlem Globetrotters end up competing against robots. Imagine what that looked like in an early 80s TV movie. They play, it's not animated, by the way. This is live wait, action. Wait, wait. <laughs> they get them off the wait. island, first of all. They get them off the island. Okay. This is happening. All right. And then there's a another rich person who I think, this is all memory at this point. So that's fine. It's please, probably exactly right. All this. Yeah. There's another rich person. He decides that it can all resolve by a basketball match, as these things all did. Remember how you saved the community center? You got to have the skiing competition, a la Hot Dog, the movie. Space but Jam. Space Jam. Space Jam. Yeah. Space Jam. Yeah. When Space Jam first came out, I said, oh, God, is this Harlem Globetrotters? Yeah. And so, yeah, they play against robots. And if I remember correctly, I could be wrong here. It's Gilligan who does the winning shot, not the Harlem Globetrotters. Not Meadowlark 11, not Curly Man. No, it's Gilligan, which is sort of like saying you're going to make a movie about a successful and eventually successful jazz player and go, you know what? Ryan Gosling. 
<laughs> this is our la la land dig, I guess, apparently. I None of that, I don't know why any of that happened, but McLean Stevenson stood out for being like, this is an old thing. I like the idea of the guy who pitched Space Jam going into the studio and saying, look, I'm just stealing this idea from this Gilligan's Island movie with the Harlem Globetrotters. And the studio's like, we can't do that. And he's like, well, only Chez knows this thing exists. So I think we could get away with it. <laughs> there is one lone pudgy child in the, in the, in the ether of time who yeah. remembers this. However, do you remember the Harlem Globetrotters had... Trotters. Trotters had a uh, Saturday morning cartoon where they were superheroes and one of them turned into a noodle. No. <laughs> I don't know if they were superheroes or they were aliens. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember this. But there was a time where entertainment was 80% Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> and I go in. And they always beat the team from New Jersey. It was New Jersey Generals or Stars? No, it was, it was Washington. Washington Generals. Okay, so yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, to knock okay. the home state. There is a Washington township in New Jersey, but I don't know if that's where they're from. That may not be it. Yeah. <laughs> to the point they always win that even uh, Krusty lost money trying to vote, root for bet on the generals in that episode. Which, by the There's, way, we've made it this far without Simpsons references. Actually, stellar for us. It's pretty good. Yeah. The only Harlem Globetrotters I remember is the Scooby Doo one. That's the only one I remember. Oh yeah, when they would have the guest stars. When it's like you know what's going to bring yeah. the kids in, Sandy Duncan and Mama <laughs> Cass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember they had the guest stars like Oliver and Hardy. It's like, this is not the guest stars. They're dead. They're long dead. I don't know what you... And this is a kid going, I don't know what you're trying to pull. I know those two people are dead. <laughs> I got there. I actually got... I took TV a little too seriously back then. Hence, wondering why Gilligan scoring the score, winning point in a Hong Kong kind of movie. I, I, I want documentary level realism in my Globetrotters <laughs> viewing experience, okay? I saw so, them live once, and it was one of the greatest things ever. I just enjoyed the Globetrotters. How could you not in the 70s, people? Go ahead. So David promises a client. <laughs> oh, right. If you like a transcript of that ramble, go ahead. A lot of money again, because I got to type it up. Yeah, it's, I'm typing it. $5, people. David promises Maddie that he has a client coming at 1130 in right. 20 minutes. I'm going to assume, which means that did she, what time was her alarm when it went off? Do you remember? Was it nine? I don't remember. I thought so it was seven. Nine, but I'm beginning to think it took her two hours of L.A. traffic. I think it was he, seven. It was, But he's watching Family Feud, which I don't know what California showed at that time. But Family Feud, I remember being as a kid. A late morning, early afternoon syndicated thing that you'd watch when you were sick. I thought Family Feud was on at like three when I was a kid. Yeah, I think yeah. even more so. And okay, so we'll do the three-hour diff time difference from our yeah. time play and say it's noon, and that's the sort of show that you would finish watching Prices Right and you still had your ginger ale and chicken soup because you're homesick. Yeah, and you're going and you're going. Should should I watch Ghost and Mrs. Muir? It's like no, I'm watching Game Show. But you're right. I would watch Family Feud, my friend Val, after school. So I think that let's say Family Feud's on at eleven. All right, let's do that. Because if it's here, we go. If it's eleven o'clock here in New Jersey, then Price is Right is on, and then at twelve o'clock here would be Family Feud for you. Yeah, and then but on the West Coast, it's We're an about hour early, right? In New Jersey, so yeah. Aren't things an hour early on the West Coast? I know the time difference is three. No, but I, think I don't think so. It depends on live thing. I think they actually show it the same. T but this is this is syndicated, so it's a little different. The yeah. Programming, so the time could be a little different. No, I believe it's shown the same time. The hour difference is central. Yeah, but I, I, remember, I, thought, so I think yeah. it was like 
when something would appear at eight o'clock here, it would appear at eight o'clock in LA. There, if someone is listening to us and has this memory and it is completely wrong, let us know because we just want to hear from you. We yeah, just it. hit up our comments. They're hit up very our comments. empty. Very yeah, empty. We, we again, <laughs> again, a hollow gourd that needs your milk. I think what it was was central because central time was. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Yeah, tonight, 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, to the point that when I actually went to a state that was in the central time zone, it was like, it was fascinating. It's like, oh, you're the central time zone, I've heard. So 11, 11, he's yeah. watching Family Feud. I mean, he's really watching Family Feud. Nothing is happening. A staff of thousands. It's, it's like a Cecil B. DeMille production, just <laughs> tens and thousands of people. And no one's dressed as a centurion. They're just sitting there in suits doing nothing. Just, what I'm saying is just women falling into pools. pools. So he has to, he lies about a client, which he smooth talks, he does his joking thing, which is all funny and all in groups of three. Yeah. They're very good on the uh, the rule of three here. And then uh, he has to go. And how one does it, as you said earlier, he has to. He has to go down 20 flights of stairs because the elevator is not coming. He has 20 minutes. Which, by the way, he said <laughs> the elevator wasn't working. Yet, if I remember, remember yeah. he even says why they yeah. can't get the guy to fix the phone. The other, but she took the elevator. Right. I think Cut the phones are all. I think the phones are also working. Like he's he's trying to just talk his way out of when things. When he goes there, the elevator isn't working. So what's the reality? Here? No, the light it lights up, but it's just not coming. It's just not coming fast enough because he only has twenty minutes. I'm still saying. However many flights they are, there seem to be a lot. By the way, if you are listening carefully, you are now hearing my cat Kiki meow. So uh, uh, another listener. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to have to lift her. So like you said, there's private investigation firms and businesses everywhere. <laughs> to so he can just run, run across the street and go up to some floor where there's Regency investigators and steal a client that's waiting in the waiting area. And who's in the waiting area? Boss Hog. <laughs> Murphy Brown himself, otherwise will later known, I uh, Mr. Rye. Yeah, not as the bread, almost as a Rye statement, but with an E at the end, because I watch things with captioning, because I have a flat screen TV and the sound flat screen TV is great. Who I, I say a flat screen TV as no one says like I've got shoes, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure how many people have a cathode cathode ray TV, and if they do, they can still hook up the original Atari. It'll be good. I put on captions for this scene because I wanted to hear the fake name that Bruce Willis gives to the to the receptionist. Oh, and what is it? It's Rex Tough. <laughs> and she buys it. And she <laughs> she's smitten. First of all, she's, yeah, smitten. she's smitten and she's all in. And she is dressed in a classic 80s office attire with a knitted kind of uh, blazer and one of those blouses that had that complicated ruffle kind of, yeah. is it a bow tie? Is it a Christmas present uh, bow? It's They always had it that when you see everything it, from from the early to mid 80s, that was the look. That yeah. was the, and then there was a skirt and on the whole administrative assistant. At that point, I'm sure the term would be secretary. Yeah. And so he tells it. And then what does he tell? So Mr. Rye in the background. Our, who's yeah. coughing, by the way, still coughing, still not well. He's there. And what does he tell her? Tells her there's a bomb in the guy's briefcase. Attache and that he's there. Is the 80s. Yeah, attache case. And he's there to escort him out of the building to get the bomb away. Like, he's there to take him and get him out of there. Which is probably is, a joke they wouldn't pull off now. Because he is Rex tough. <laughs> he he's going to do it. Rex tough is indeed tough. And I nailed down Rex tough's character. I still don't know who David Addison is. But I know who Rex tough is. David Addison is a multitude. 
He's yeah. Legion. He's so many people. And, Rex Tuff um, is the guy who's going to save the day and get the girl. And he does, if you believe there's a bond in the case, which yeah. there is not. Right. But he is going to get a date. He, yeah. It's like she, she is very happy to help. She is very relieved that he did his job. He does leave with uh, Murphy Hogg. It works out well. Now, the thing is, you know, and this is actually a good touch to see the character going, you know, Murphy Hogg, Mr. Rye, does not believe him. Yeah. Because he's bemused. He yeah. leaves bemused. Everyone is amused by David Addison. Every, you kind of almost have to be. Otherwise, there are scenes where you kind of almost punch him. Yeah. Again, this speaks more to Bruce Willis than the character work they've done writing David Addison. Right. He's, he's he's having to fill in a lot of blanks still, which is why, again, is he someone who wants to be a responsible detective or is he a man child? And up here, we're like 95 percent man child in this episode. I'm fine with man child. I, I tend to sometimes wear where my inner child is an exoskeleton. So I understand this. So, David, in the elevator, so many elevators. I know whenever people think of L.A., they think of traffic, but I'm beginning to think it's almost all elevator. That's where all the action happens. And, and also, when I think of, like, P.I.s and detectives and things like that, I think of them, like, in the strip mall with the bail bond store <laughs> and not, like, in these lush, lush office spaces. You, you think something kind of seedy and low-key. Yeah. You almost yeah. think of, although he is actually more of a, uh, the term wouldn't be about the other, but like Jackie Brown. Like the character, yeah. the female character. You think the it's not the same. He's not a detective agency. By the way, Jackie Brown is a film that had I watched when I was younger, I wouldn't have liked. You watch that film after 40, after 50? Watch it. It's fantastic. What I'm saying is the olds. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You think that would be next to like a David's cookie. You know, something that just wouldn't, uh, you know, an, an anti, which, what's the pretzel one? Anti-ads. Anti, there you go. It's yeah, not Wetzel, not Wetzel, not, not those yeah. bastards who we love and would love to have as sponsors. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm going to wait to see if we get an email. Yeah, nope, not, pro, not but also not con, not against us. So this is good because no, we can build I mean, on that. We can look at the positives and say no one said no that to sponsoring true. us yet. No one has told us to stop. Yeah. Which is a good way of making sure, at least on a Facebook page, someone is now going to write, stop. <laughs> stop. That's the best way I to do so. it. I hope so. That means they made it this far. They made it this far. This, they, they, they made it to hour four of our podcast. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. I like cheese. And now we're back. Okay. Oh. That was from the Cheese Council, people, because we're going to lie and pretend we The people stop. who put the cheese on the pizza in Detroit? Yes. Were oh, they okay. The ones who are fancy enough to put it under the sauce What's and she's uh, got to see, hide ties in ties in yeah, the, the cheese council it's i need to be specific cheese because i'm not really a milk drinker so the dairy council is going to be a I, i'd have to lie through my teeth for their sponsorship we'll take their money oh yeah just like david and maddie take the ten thousand dollar check for mr rye and mr rye tells them that he is looking for his estranged son grown-up yeah. son and so he offers them $10,000, which I did do the inflation calculator, and it was $28,000. You know, at this point from the 80s, I expect to see $10,000 and see that it reads $350,000. Yeah. But it's $28,000, and okay. I was kind of disappointed. It was kind of like, I mean, that's that's a good change for one thing, but I, I, I just wanted to see six digits because I just wanted to know what a hellish inflation nightmare we've all been living year after year. <laughs> $10,000, every employee of their company is getting five. Oh, yeah. They're getting fi- they don't they, they didn't earn it. They've done nothing about no, it. They, 
But they each get a fiver. Yeah. Because, again, though, the whole point of the agency was to lose money. So I'm not sure who we can blame. But by third episode, if those people are still doing nothing, and if I if memory serves correct, they are still doing nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. They can lose it. So they take the case. It's going to keep the company going for a while. They're excited to have business. Yeah. They, the guy leaves. But here's yeah, the you thing. Can say it. Yeah. So he says... That he believes his son may be involved in nefarious business. Yes. And at that point, after the guy leaves, David looks up the word nefarious in a dictionary. And you're thinking, well, that's the joke. That's the setup. He's flipping through. But then they both, David and Maddie, seem to be taken aback by the meaning of nefarious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know if this is the characters are a little dim-witted or more to the point if the writers of the show were curious enough to wonder if the viewers of the show knew what the meaning of the word nefarious is and they had to highlight it. As if, you know, this show's at 9 p.m. They're going, listen, at this point, they are all laughed out from who's the boss and growing pains. And we don't know what their brains are capable of. They've had so much jammed into them with Tony Danza and uh, Keith Cameron that we don't know what they can accomplish. But it was curious. It was a joke, but it wasn't, it was in the reality of the show. Yeah, but it was I, I agree that it was probably the show. last one you said. I, it, it has to be that they thought the readers were dumb. I mean, the listeners. And if that's the case, then the why- watchers. You, the, watchers. Yes, the watchers, we have listeners. They have watchers. They had watchers. We have hopefully listeners that who aren't yeah. just simply Kevin and Chez. But if that's the case, why use the word nefarious? Is it to show that Mr. Rye is an educated man, which frankly nefarious doesn't really pull that. Right. It's 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 not a, it's not a half dollar word here. And half with dollar, the, a coin and that with you the words it. with the words that come out of David's mouth. Yeah. Uh, even up to this point, like one and a third episodes in, he seems like somebody who knows the meaning of the word nefarious. <laughs> he seems to have a pre, he seems to have a facility with language. He speaks very quickly. Yeah. He's very good at at the rule of three with the thing he and she clearly does not seem to be an idiot by no. any of the person. None of these people seem to be dim. So this was a joke and this was a thing that kind of betrayed the characters, which leads back to your question at the beginning. Do they know who David Addison is? They do seem to have a better hold of Maddie, but Maddie, they seem to have pigeonholed in a way, which isn't as helpful because Maddie's job often is to react. It's a show where she is the boss. She is the guiding principal. She was the program is developed on, and yet she still is the reactor to the guy. But it's weird that she does reaction. Now, does she take control? Does she do anything? Yeah, because to the point of, is it here where he kind of hugs her, but then realizes that's wrong, and we don't she know- She hugs him. Spin? She sm- hugs him, and he doesn't know what to how to react. Yeah, that's when he goes to look up Nefarious. That is, because they're happy about he, the job, and yeah. he's kind of like, okay. So, oh, is it, I mean, they both react to it then, but like, is it more like, uh, I got to go look at this dictionary to get out of the hug. But, yeah, they do re- I, but they do react to it. They do react to the word nefarious. Like, nefarious. I'm going to say that to repeat it until I hear it as Duran's Duran notorious. Nefarious. So, finally, just the two of them, because God knows what that staff is doing. They start investigating. So Boots on they, the ground, people. This is boots on the ground. They are doing the work. They check in with, like, the police station and the newspaper. Like, or a Michael Rye. Yeah, that all that all comes up with nothing. Right, there is nothing. So what they do is they go. Wait, I do I do want to point out that this is the second time that I have like noticed that they're not wearing seatbelts. There's there's no seatbelts. Very good eye, and there's no seatbelt. I'm also noticing that it is her business and her car, but she never gets to seem to drive her car. She gets, she drove to work. 
They switched from a Porsche to a BMW. Yeah, and I'm wondering if over time we're just going to see this go down to like a K car. <laughs> I mean, nothing wrong with a BMW. Let's not kid ourselves. But uh, I want it to basically it becomes one of those 60 Citroëns you see in like French New Wave films. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> But you're right. So no seatbelt. I'm amazed that we're not seeing someone use the cigarette light, although we do see a cigarette in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Not but lit. It's not, not lit, though. It's not lit. And it clearly is a prop. It doesn't look like he's a smoker, because from what I remember, he never smokes in the series. Yeah, so this was 40 years memory. So I don't know. I will say that this scene bothered me more than than steering Maddie around. Not not the not the Henry Higgins scene, no. but the scene when he finally goes into the bar. So yeah, no, let's let's set up. Like, so they're going they're going to the the bad bar, like the they're yeah. going to the tough part of town. Yeah, the tough part of town, which means we're on a different part of the studio lot. Yeah. And the anvil, it's a black building with a black door, and just the logo says the anvil. And the anvil, you know, it sounds hard. Yeah, it sounds. It's it sounds pummeling. It just sounds like not a place good people should took out go. so many wily e. coyotes. <laughs> so many. And again, as I said, it did there was the anvil bar in the Simpsons. The Simpsons reference was gonna stop there. But yeah, it's yeah, it is. The anvil is Acme Products Anvil. It just yeah, the when you're a kid, you knew quicksand and anvil from cartoons. And anvils yeah. are not good things. Because so few people are forging things now. So and, so David David, they go to the anvil, they park like slightly down the street from it yeah because um, you don't want to be seen in front of the anvil right so they park there he tells maddie to stay in the car because i think it's actually to protect her from the hooligans inside the anvil it is and, to protect her but it is also come across as if you know you've driven your four-year-old to a crime scene but you don't want them to see right yeah like stay in the car lock yeah. the doors lock the doors think. remember but, talk to anyone and, you know, uh, if you see anyone, I don't know, scream. But, like, no radio because the battery will die. So she has to just... Which is actually a fun joke, to be quite honest. She has to honest. sit there with her thoughts. She has to sit there alone just fuming because that's what I would be doing. And yeah. also, let me put it this way. If this is a bad part of town, which this is a, supposedly a bad part of town... What does leaving the person in the car do? Because when I was a kid, my dad used to drop off. My dad used to do a series of softcore pornographic T-shirts. Because that wasn't his main job. We had the other job. <laughs> Didn't I say last time when he got the VCR, he got the Debbie yeah. Does Dad? Yeah. So I'm painting a really good picture of my childhood. But so he would bring his T-shirts to a place called the Pleasure Chest, which was downtown. Okay. And he would drive there because he had the boxes. But he would not leave me in the car because this is 1974 Manhattan. And you didn't do that to right. a kid. So you brought your six-year-old in and you just look at it and the six-year-old just looking at the pleasure chest to the point that I will say this years later, and this is going to tie in years later, I'm watching the movie Pulp Fiction, the scene with Bruce Willis in the, uh, when they said, bring out the gimp and the gimp has a zipper mask. And I'm watching it with my girlfriend at the time. And I actually said a little too loud. I remember in a ball gag. It was also the zipper mask. I remember those when I was six. I said that out loud in the theater. The thing is, I did because that's what the pleasure chest had. It had ball gags and zipper masks. And I just looked around because it was safer than being inside a Buick outside in 1974. Uh, so either way, it's not good. But in a way, he is being pre- – this is, again, where it's that odd line where he's coming from a good place, but that place may not be best to basically say, you know, oh, you need to be there. But to the point, 
she does not stay. The writers are not treating yeah. her like that. Yeah. She goes out, she demands, and hence and hence becomes, as you correctly said, the Henry Higgins. Well, he, she called him that. She does, yeah. Yeah, she, she said, did. okay, Henry Higgins. It's a reverse Henry Higgins. Like, it's he's, he's bringing her down to, like, street level instead of up to society. Yeah, because, you know, you, you got to be hard to go into the Anvil. I mean, there was a guy in there with figureless gloves, so. I know. We're yeah. going to talk about we're going to talk about <laughs> the, the anvil looked like and how hilarious of a time and of a thought it was. So he basically messes up her hair that she yeah. paid a lot, Mr. Bruce, to do. We're gonna we're gonna leave that alone because there's a whole element there that doesn't seem. I don't. It's thing. fine. Like she fine. again, fine, but, like she was. She wanted to go into the bar with yeah. him as part of the detective team. So she was gonna do. What was necessary? What was necessary to go in there? And she she was willing. She was going to do it. He does rip her skirt to do the uh, thing. Yeah. There's, there's a she lost money in this video. I don't know if the such. Oh God. <laughs> given they, given her just level, recoup the ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't think they're going to come off with a profit from this. And uh, so she walks because he has to do the walk, which is also the cameraman going. Well, let's see Sybil Shepherd yeah. do a, a sexy walk. It's the uh, have your cake and eat it too aspect. Of the, yeah. of, the, uh, of the writers and the uh, people at the time. And he sings Do A Diddy, which means Manfred Mann got paid. Manfred Mann, who I only knew as Blinded by the Light. They never wrote any of their songs. But they also did Do A Diddy. Yeah. Like, like that's a big span of, of being a cover group, <laughs> like a, a successful cover group. But that's all they. If I if I remember, and someone you know, listener who isn't Kevin and Chaz can chime in. I do believe most of their songs were written by other people because "Blind by the Light" is Bruce Springsteen. Yes, and also covered by Patti Smith. Yeah, I think I think that they did multiple Bruce Springsteen songs after "Blinded by the Light." They were like, "Let's keep hitting that." It's just, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Someone get us a vinyl of Asbury Park. We're all in. <laughs> We're yeah. doing this, people. Uh, then they, then oddly enough, we picked up the album copy in Nebraska, and that just set him on up in a whole <laughs> different kind of rhythm. Because I, I was wrong, but in my head, "Blinded by the Light" was an '80s song, but it's from '76. I looked it up, but like yeah. when I looked up "Dua Diddy," they had that hit in '64. They stuck around. So like that's a long time. That's a yeah. long time to be. It's like seven blind melons. <laughs> <laughs> I like that as a measurement of time. And now. Our show's if only been are, on for one blind melon. Yeah, if if you if you are of a certain age, you are now thinking of Little B Girl. Great video. She's a grandma now. Wow. No, she, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Uh, she was younger than me, so that I mean, she could be. <laughs> I don't but know. Shannon, what was his name? I mean, he passed away after the first album. Shannon Hood. I think it was Hood. Yeah. That's. We're gonna say think, and we're not gonna cheat ourselves with a Google search. Yeah, I think that's should. right. So, so they go in. They go into the anvil. The anvil is glorious because. Like every CD bar you'd see in a movie or a TV show at time, it always looks like it's three feet away from a wharf. It looks like a deleted scene from Popeye the Musical when they decide that <laughs> it go for an R. And it's just gloriously cliche. Yeah. And the camera work is so tight that what's supposed to be a thing is basically they're working with the space I've got in my foyer in, the, yeah. in my, my apartment. It is absolutely a hallway. Absolutely. But, but it looks... Like it does look like a seaside bar. I almost expect someone to be mumbling into beer. Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good <laughs> you would be. If you don't sing it, you don't have to pay for it, people. I have no idea. So David, they already stick out because he's wearing 80s men look of basically button-down shirt and blazer. She's yeah. looking like Sybil Shepherd. This is where, yeah, it gets a little problematic. 
Forget. He, he does like a voice that is almost stewardess I speak jive. <laughs> it, now, it is not a black scent, but it's him trying to relate to the bartender who is black, who is particular. Yeah. And then yeah. now, much to the bartender's credit, he does beat the shit out of him. He is not amused by it at all. Never. And when, he, when he eventually hits Bruce Springsteen, he flies like Bruce Springsteen was hit by the Hulk. Like oh, that, yeah. He uh, went Bruce Springsteen's flying. like 17 cables. They just pull. <laughs> he, he, he breaks a table. And you're going, good. Because every I, so often, yeah. I, I did I, like the line when he's on the ground and they're trying to, like, talk. When Maddie's trying to smooth it over because she's right. the one that makes it all okay. Yeah. Uh, he said, don't think I forgot. I'm still mad at you <laughs> from the ground after he's been knocked down. I like that line a lot. I do that. And you know what? Yeah. That again is when the writers are sharp and yeah. they are taking care of the dynamic. And again, did Bruce Willis deserve to be hidden? Not Bruce, excuse me. Did David Addison deserve to be hidden this seat? Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. He, because he, he wouldn't stop and he could not read the room. Yeah. Was the bartender was not having it like at all. Just staring him like, you, you should probably stop, right? And <laughs> Maybe you tap out. People, yeah. You and I are people who in a different, who in unique situations or things like anything are prone to joke. Yeah. But we would know one joke in, this ain't working. Yeah, it's not working. This is not. Okay, we're going to change tactic here. He won't shut up. He's also, I think this is the first time we see David Addison, what would be later trademark shades. Shades being an 80s thing for cool. He's trying to look cool. He's got an unlit cigarette dangling from his lip. And he keeps ordering for 13, a baker's dozen (laughs) tequila shot. And... He can read it at all. Maybe because he's got the sunglasses and a dimly lit CD bar. And he gets punched. Yeah. And then they mention, they say the name, Michael Rye. And this guy knows who they're talking about. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, this is the this is the CD bar. They know everything. Everything CD that goes on. See, I didn't know what was going to happen. At first, when he was saying this is a CD bar, it's like, is he going in just to have a drink and joke? And we're going to find out it looks like an Applebee's in there or something. It's just burnt in brass, like an 80s kind of bar. And uh, but this is 80s CD, which is uh, which probably means prostitutes. Yeah. You know, women of the night and men who frequent such establishments. They also had the video game Turbo. <laughs> in Ooh, the background which i do remember turbo i like turbo but you know what this is better it's better to have turbo than golden tea i know you i know you like golf i do like golf but yeah, yeah turbo turbo was an odd choice to me for cd bar like you would think pinball at most pinball pinball because then then a fight could go and you tilt yeah. the you get that angry tin, pinball it's it's far too early for a mortal combat and god yeah. knows what the graphics would have looked like for a mortal combat it would have been air sea battle but with like remember uh like activision's boxing where it just looked like two yeah. it, they had to do an aerial shot that is that was an odd choice and so he brings him into his office and he tells him about michael rye and they find out michael rye is because he's saying essentially he's like well who do you want him to kill yeah, he's assuming that these people who are very out of place are there because they're they want somebody to be gone. Yeah, because why else would these two individuals yeah. have come to the anvil? Which, right. by the way, will be the name of our Moonies Never Say Die Hard forum, which so will be stop great. on by the anvil. Yeah, so which will be great because when we're a season in and they've never mentioned the anvil again and just reference it's <laughs> lost to them another the time, we're going to stick with it. We com- just like we're committing to all sixty nine episodes, no matter. If Hulu dumps it, 
if no matter if Hulu doesn't exist, if it goes to another streaming channel that sadly I pay for most of them at this point, so I'll find it. And if we have to go on DVD and we don't have the music anymore, I don't know. But we're what we're saying is like Maddie and David up to this point, because things will yeah. change, we're committed. So they find out he is an assassin for hire. Two episodes into Moonlighting, two assassin for hire plot. Yeah. Again, the weed shop of the 80s. Or the 16 handles, whatever that yogurt shop that was popular for a while in the later 2000s. I remember when there was just like cupcakes. Cupcakes were big for a while. Cupcake shots. Yeah. Shops were really big for a while. That's not too long ago. So David wants out of the case. Like fat. And she yeah. doesn't because she wants to help the sweet old man. Yeah. She is actually, to a degree, smitten with Mr. Rye. I don't know how. Boss Bontender constantly coughing up a lung. He never gets blood on his handkerchief, which I don't understand. Because, I don't know, because that's the classic movie yeah. song of TB. You get yeah. blood on things like, this man This man has got what the old school version consumption. This man's yeah. going to die of TB. But you're right, he coughs. And maybe because still 9 p.m., you could, you could show people dying, but you can't show the blood. Remember, yeah. the first pilot episode, the punk contract killer yeah. gets a knife. In his back, but we don't see the blood. The Bob Newhart villain dies, but we only see him as a thin blue lip, you know, blue skin, thin lipped uh, corpse. And the Nazi just falls to his death. We but do get, know. we do get blood later. We do. We do. But it's okay. But they probably just they wanted to mix it up and not put blood in the handkerchief, which is a bold strategy. It is maybe because they wanted the blood from what happens later to stand out. Maybe they only had this much blood <laughs> for the scene. And they're you like, know, Do we it use was it hard to get red dye number two at this point, as we discussed. And maybe oh, that was yeah, only, which is not how you make blood at all, people. <laughs> of course not. It's a, there's a syrup and there's a whole deal, but you still need a dye. And apparently, you could not get red dye number two because the FDA said it caused cancer in rats. By the way, if I'm remembering correctly, the red dye I MNM mean, said they didn't even use it, but. We're back to M&M's. So if you'd like to talk about more about M&M's, bring it up in the form, the anvil. So Maddie has a date with Boss Hog, Murphy Brown, bartender. And it's at a re- at the Carlisle. Oh, yeah. Which is one of those restaurants in a very 80s fashion, which shows it's upscale because there's just so much linen on the table. So much yeah. linen. So much draped linen, so much linen napkins that will never see the sight of coughed up blood. I'm going to assume they're going to order lobster like in the pilot episode. Because in the 80s... That yep. was how, in the 80s, at least you know, there were only two meals, lobster or happy meal. Because it was all about social status. <laughs> Your dinner either included the word thermidor or the phrase comes with a Care Bear. <laughs> Which now that I just brought this up, I'm going to ask you. I didn't see the cartoon at the time, nor did I see the cartoon shirt tales of various offshoots of this. Okay. Were Care Bears named after their emotions like, you know, aghast or mortified? I believe or they, so. Or did they have like good solid names like Glenn and Cheryl? No, they had, it was like Happy Bear or whatever. Okay, Lucky so Bear. Yeah. Bear, um, uh, withdrawn Bear, things like that. Yeah, that one, yeah. yeah. I do like the idea of Glenn and Cheryl Care Bear, because they sound like a couple who's going through marital problems during the making of the ice storm. So here, here's this scene, <laughs> the scene at the restaurant, at the Carlisle. But we they find never, out. By the way, I don't think they even see no, the Carlisle. Because so we'll he, he coughs up a lung or whatever. But uh, we find out that Boss Hog picked the Carlisle because it was the name of a restaurant that he knew back in France because he was there during the occupation. And we find out that during the occupation, he casually says that he 
sabotaged power plants, blew up trains, For and, the assassinated, and assassinated SS officers. Which brings us back to Nazis again. I don't know what's going on here, but it's... <laughs> I mean, you know, because in the 80s, you expected a lot of references to NAM, but World War II and Nazis, this was getting a lot of play in Moonlighting. And she's enamored with him. She, and here's the thing. I, he also says that he is dying. He does yeah. reveal he is yeah. dying in that regard in case the, uh, because, you know, there was no blood on the linen, on the nice linen napkin. So he had to announce. So here's the thing. When you hear him saying that he worked with the French resistance. Yeah. And clearly not being French. Did you think he was lying? I did not think he was lying, but it I, bothered me the rest of the episode that Maddie kept referring to him as a sweet old man <laughs> who couldn't who kill anybody. Of killing everybody. Yeah. Now, granted, for the right <laughs> cause, yes, but she just went on because she profiled as him as just a dying sweet old man looking yeah. for his son, and that's and she's gonna stick with that. This she stuck with it the whole episode, episode no matter she how many times he shows her. <laughs> Right in front of her face that he's not. That he's not. So I will be honest with you. At this point, later on, I had a second thought. But at this point, because we know he's lying about, you can tell. Yeah, that's interesting. That it's not his son, that he's lying. We don't know precisely, but you just know this isn't a lie. Because this is a man who, okay, he didn't kill someone when he had a chance. But looks like he knows his way around guns and various yeah. things. And even threatens to kill. I just assume this was him throwing another story to put a positive light. Is it a curious positive light to say you're part of the French resistance? Yeah, it's we all occasionally lie about ourselves to look better. But I'm going to say at no point could if if I were of the age, would I have said, yeah, I work with the French resistance. So maybe it was true. Maybe this is where he learned his killing skills. Yeah, like I, I took it as I took it as true and that it bothered me that Maddie kept saying I can't imagine so, him killing anybody when he probably killed hundreds of hundreds. people just in France. Just in France alone. <laughs> he might have killed as many people as they do in in Paris in John Wick 4. Yeah. So many people die in Paris in John Wick 4. I'm not blowing anything for you. It's a John Wick movie. Someone dies. Spoilers. Someone dies in a John Spoilers, Wick. Spoilers, Chez. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the, it's not a dog. I'm going to put that. That's true. Of a, of a series that starts with, we're killing the dog if you're upset by any other death or surprised by it. So he tells her this. She is still all in. But well, she feels like she was going to this dinner to tell him that they're not doing the case anymore. Well, she was told to do that. Yeah. We, we knew her heart wasn't in it. Oh, no, I heard it's not, her heart's not in it. But then this dinner doubled down her heart yeah. with like, she doesn't want to get out of it, but she kind of agrees to like, leave the case but then when he gives the sob story he's dying like, we can't do it we have he's to do dying this. he was on the good side he's just a yeah. lovely old man who killed yeah. hundreds hundreds of people hundreds of people you you if you're blowing up things he blew up trades there's gotta trades. be at least one or two innocent people on a train i'm just gonna say <laughs> unless that was, those were all cargo trains unless yeah. they were just full of coal i'm going to assume yeah lots of people died yeah. And that was a time when lots of people took the train. Yeah. So David is sitting outside in the car because he doesn't want her. He wanted them to go together and say, we're getting off this case. He is actually very concerned and understandably so. Yeah. But 
also not understandably so because his whole point is to prove that they have a business and to prove he's got the chops. And first tough case where the word nefarious comes in, he wants out. I think he wants something where a case involves the meaning of the word placid. Yeah. Congenial. These are words he wants to hear from a client. He was all in when it was just finding a person. He said for 10,000, they'll show the entire family, which is not your best negotiating skill, by the way. (laughs) Don't say you're able to do both rate that quickly. He is outside because he said, we're going to go in and we're going to go. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. I don't believe you're going to do it. He said, no, I'm going to do it. He is actually right not to believe. She goes in there. She comes back afterwards, which is two and a half hour meal. David's in the car where he gets to listen to music. He's listening <laughs> to music now. She can't listen to music, but he can listen to music. So draw that from what you will. And it was the same car, right? Yeah. Was it the same car? Yeah, it's the same car. It's the same car. She comes back and clearly... He he guesses that she didn't tell him. But what, so she they didn't have like... tell, what she didn't tell Mr. Boss Hog, bartender Rye, is that she couldn't break the news to him that his son... I'm doing air quotes at this yeah, point. Yeah. Son is a contract killer because she didn't want to break his heart. You're looking for the son and we didn't want your son to be a bad seed. And as someone who killed clearly hundreds of people during the war, we don't want you to know that your son kills people. Now, granted, is there a difference killing people in the French resistance as if to go, did the check clear? Okay, I'll shoot him. Yeah, there's a difference. But she did not break the news because he's a gentle old man who is dying, so dying that he apparently is devoid of blood. And David's not happy. They have a conversation. They're upset. They do the screaming thing where she screams a good thing and she wants to go home. So they go back to the office. And much to hopefully no viewer's surprise if they're paying attention to narrative structure and where we are in the plot. Yeah. Guess who's waiting for them there? Uh, McLean Stevenson. McLean Stevenson, <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters, and Bob Denver for the best Gilligan's episode. Gilligan's hello. I will say before episode. before we met Michael Rye to give David Addison some credit because we we beat him up about his cash choices for bus station. We do. But we do. Before we meet Michael Rye, the the son, he pitches he parking lot the film. He does. He's and, he's moved up. His film was a leap up back then. Yeah. yeah, and the cast was Eddie Murphy. Bill Murray and Jessica Lange. That's a hell of a cast. That's a good cast for That's 1985. That's a good 80s cast. Because yeah. by that point, Jessica Lange, I think, had already been nominated for Francis. So we're talking award nomination material. I, did, she, did she win? And then two of the hottest two of the comedians. Two of the hottest comedians, yeah. yeah. So he has gone from yeah. Clayton Stevenson, Charles, and Tony Orlando, which is as 70s love boat variety show as you can get. It's a Donnie, it's a Donnie and Maria yeah. cast episode. Yeah. Who... High end, high cost. So he's been paying it. He's been doing his work as yeah. a detective. He's been doing his like. Yeah, work. he figured it out. He figured so it the out. Son, the son is waiting for them. He wants to find In out. He wants to find I, out why they're trying to find him. Because they asked, they they said this name in front of a whole bunch of people at yeah. Sea Pirate Bar. So yeah. of course they were going to find out. So you and I both looked at him and we both went, "Oh, he looks familiar." Yeah. Then we're not going to pull a big name out of this. In fact, I'm not going to pull anyone's name because I forgot to write the actor's name down. But we are talking, this is the non-alien cop in the TV series Alien Nation. Which, for people who don't remember Alien Nation, which I sort of It was do. only on for a season. It was like 1989, yeah. 1990. Um, but aliens, aliens are part of society, and they're working like regular jobs and stuff, right? 
but, they are but they're just not treated well. Yeah, they are. They are treated as a minority and, and as, as one does in that case. So it's, it's very much an allegorical kind of TV series, just as it was an allegorical movie, which are James Caan and Indigo Montoya, which uh, Mandy Patinkin and Mandy Patinkin's character. Who, he played the alien, just like the actor here who played the alien, who we don't know because he's not our contract killer. Of course, we, the cop's name I remember being Sam Francisco, because when they all landed, they all got new names. And I think there was something clever there because there was a riff on the Ellis Island thing where they would change the ethnic names, which I'm saying my grandfather went through Ellis Island with polio. So I don't even know how he got through. I don't know how we kept our name. I'm beginning to wonder if our name was Smith and they decided to just <laughs> fill in on a joke and just added 80 vowels. But he's there. So this he guy he played the cop in uh, the male cop in the partnership in Alienation in the one year and the 42 TV movies that followed. What happened was the show actually, I believe, actually had decent ratings. But at that time, Fox, which the show was on, only had two hits of a sense, which would be The Simpsons and Married with Children. And at that point, I think they thought, why are we putting money in this? We should just go all in on comedies. And that's how you got. Drexel's class or Dexter's class, whatever <laughs> that uh, Dabney Coleman series was. Yeah. And they didn't have a hit for a while until they went all in on Melrose Place in 90210. And that, that was their resurgence. Party of Five. And now I've got the Bodine theme song stuck in my head. <laughs> so we find out that the father, he doesn't have a father. The father's the been father dead died for like 14 years 14 ago. Years. A note I wrote. I, yeah. was, you think the note I would have wrote was, hey, Turbo Arcade Machine. I did it. <laughs> 14 years, that's the one I wrote. Yeah, so the father's been dead for 14 years. So who is Boss Hog? So they now know they've been lied to. Manny's still all in. Still believes he's a nice old man. And uh, so that's it. Who is Boss Hog? So... Michael Rye, who apparently that's at least his contract killing name. We don't find that's a different name. Threatens to kill them because of thing. But he needs him alive because he needs to find out who's looking for him. Yeah. And that's the contact. So they do this by having Maddie go back to the restaurant. And she talks to the Mater D to try to get the credit card slip. So snooty they get the Mater D because it's always a snooty Mater D. Always snooty. But I will say, again, there's a charm about Maddie that affects everybody, too. Yeah. It's like David charms everybody. She charms everybody. Like, she's the reason why they found out who Michael Rye was from the bartender at the Anvil. Yeah. And she's the reason why they got this name. I know she offered money, but she caught the Mater D off guard with the niceness of wanting to pay for it. And that's a good thing because she is able, she is charming people, winning over, and it doesn't seem, and they're not stressing because it's based on her looks. It does not seem to be a matter of looks. It actually seems to be a matter of how she interacts with people. Yeah. Which is much better. And yeah, I mean, yes, she does end up, as we hear later, spending a lot of money. <laughs> but she do, she's looking for the classic, beautiful, kachunk credit card receipt, carbon yeah. receipt copy. And she says, you know, she does get it, despite having no idea what it is. And they go down to where they're waiting in the uh, parking garage. By the way, I have found in various movies in the 80s and TV shows, if you're not in an elevator and you're not on the road in <laughs> yeah. L.A., you're in an underground parking garage. And the name, Mr. I's name is actually Franklin Tate. Again, I didn't write Turbo, but I wrote Tate. <laughs> and guess what Franklin Tate's career is? He's a contract killer, too. Because so John Wick. Everyone is a contract killer. It's beautiful. He's the it's a best one. 
He is the best of the best. And this is where we start slowly understanding why this episode and why we open up with Cowboy Boots is titled. Because Franklin Tate is the best of the best. In fact, Michael Rye is not only bemused, but kind of flattered. He's flattered. Yeah, He's that's flattered that this guy yeah. wants to kill him because his word is getting, the name is getting around of Michael Rye. Right. And it's basically who's going to be the fastest. Everyone is the killer, the killer to become the top killer so you can be killed by the top killer. It's uh, if you don't know your Westerns, maybe you saw Blazing Saddles. And that's what Gene Wilder's character gives up because everyone was gunning for him because he was the top. He was the top uh, marksman. So in this case, that is it because everyone's a killer because it's a killer because L.A. is killer town, apparently. So we actually end up with a classic Western shootout. Yeah. So they, they in a agree to bring L.A. area. Yeah, like to, to a junkyard, an agreed-upon location for the shootout. She brings Franklin Tate, boss bartender, and he brings Michael Rye, alienation cop. Yeah, so alienation cop has a modern handgun. Yeah. And boss hog has, like, a shooter, like a six-shooter. Like, it's classic. In an ass spin the barrel. Course. Spin the barrel, even though he's not playing Russian roulette, and there's definitely six bullets in that barrel. I don't know why he has to spin it, but everybody's because spinning. You just have to. Everybody spins it. You just have to. You got to turn set dressing into prop. You got to yeah. work with it. So they go and meet, call each other's names out or whatever. They even do the close-up of the eyes. Yeah, they do the close-up of the eyes like it's a kind full-on of, duel. Okay. Yeah. The worst shots <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, Thank this, you. This, I wrote down a note. It truly was a so-so corral. Because <laughs> <laughs> they could not hit each other for being the two best. I was like... Did they just get a letter asking them to be in the who's who book of assassins? <laughs> Where your parents get really yeah. excited. Yeah, and yeah. And even yeah, you have to 14, send them money. Going, no, you're being so scared. They just want money. Yeah, yeah. They so they, want, don't do this. You, you'll get a leather-bound book saying you're the best assassin. Go ahead. Neither one hit each other right away. They're doing, like, like, the crouching, like, yeah. dodging bullet moves. And they're just firing willy nilly. Just, just off my comment. Whereas yours was so so crowd. My comment was stormtrooper. Yeah, just missing just everything. Bad aims. Bad aims. And, and then uh, alienation guy hits boss hog. So they get he has Minimal blood on his blood. arm. He, he he like get grazed on the the shooting arm. Do we even see blood at that point on yeah. boss hog? Yeah, his uh his whatever two ounces jacket. of blood his body holds. That yeah, he, the jacket yeah. has blood on it in that now, corner, and thing. he's holding it. He's holding it. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. All this is going on. And Maddie wants to save Boss Hog, Boss Bartender. Yes. Because he's a sweet old man. Sweet old man. Now, they even have an interaction before they go where she's saying, you don't have to do this. And his tone is basically, you know, here's the check and everything. In that moment, he did not look like, okay, he's just a cold hearted killer. There's right. something where they, they softened his character where you could see Maddie's viewpoint at that I, point. So... So Boss Hog, if you, they did a lot of close-ups of him, and his right. in, his incisors are longer than his other teeth, so he looks like a vampire. Wow, and, I didn't catch that. And a lot of times I was thinking like, this is so interview with the vampire because he's just like at the end of his life, yeah, and and he doesn't want to do that life anymore. He, and, want, he just wants to tell Christian Slater his story. Well, he tells Maddie the story, right? Like, so, yeah. So, yeah. so so they have this sh- shootout, and he's hit. Horrible. And that's he's true. hit, finally. Drops his gun in the You're middle of... You're almost happy someone actually got someone. 
he drops the gun in the middle of the the lane of shooting. Yeah. And between between old cars. Alienation guy continues to try to shoot him from like protected positions while yeah. he's just holding his arm off to the side unarmed now. All like, he has to do just is walk up, there up on him. Just, yeah. All he has to do is just come up there between. We're not telling people how to do their jobs. That's not our purpose. I am telling people how to shoot people. But you, you know shoot what? Them. You shoot you them shoot with them. the bullet. How do you, <laughs> you are a contract killer. There is a word in there that tells you what you should be doing. Yeah. And all he had to do, you're right. The gunner's all he had to do is just go there. But what does he do instead? As he's reaching the gun, he's shooting the gun because now he's playing with him. Okay, now I understand he's playing. But like now he can aim. Like, now he can, like he can now shoot he can. this gun on the ground three times, but he, he couldn't hit, hit Boss Hog, who's yes, a stout man. He is not, a stout not a tall man. man, but we're talking at least a good 260, 270. Yeah, it's like, can you shoot a barrel? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> like good, fish in a barrel. Fish in a barrel. You can shoot them. <laughs> Don't even shoot the fish. Just aim for the Just barrel. Hit the Just barrel. Go for the full <laughs> cask. Go for it. And no, he he decides to play with him a little, and he's really good at shooting a gun. He would be the most. He it would be weird because he'd be at a carnival, and some booths he'd be fantastic at the shooting, and others he'd, yeah. he'd be a fiasco. Sometimes he'd win the giant stuff fair, <laughs> other times nothing. So. She uh, tries Maddie, to, Maddie tries to intervene at this point because David's telling her not to because yeah. why do you want to die? But then of course, being an eighty show, but she goes to go and he goes in her place. Like he, he tries to, to be chivalry, like yeah. the chivalrous guy in that moment. Right. So he goes there and is promptly just held hostage, just captured just, by the by alien nation. By the way, by the way, I don't know what the average temperature in L.A. and whatever the period of this is supposed to be. According to television, the eighties. It was always a pleasant 75 degrees until it was the Christmas episode, and then it snowed no matter where you were, and then suddenly it was cold. So there was always a temperate thing. But he's wearing a shirt. He's wearing a sweater. Sweater. Very 80s look. It's not a look that seems to be meant for people on the move where you think a detective would be when he knows he's going to a shootout. It's almost like... He's going to some friend's party. It's not a formal party, but you don't know everyone there. So you want to at least look a little good and you want to break out the nice Benetton. I didn't understand the clothing. Her clothes made more sense. Than I will I will say that, like, we also I wear a T-shirt all year round. I wear a like, T-shirt and hoodie. That's all it is. I, I walk I walk the dog in the snow out the front door in a T-shirt a lot of times. You and I do not handle heat well. I don't we, handle heat well. So, like, the idea of being in a sweater if it's not snowing, it's crazy to me. But I started do. sweating looking people at him with it. it. <laughs> Thank you. I started sweating him looking at it going like so he gets well too dread well too far too many layers, is immediately caught by Michael Rye, alienation cop. He's held hostage. We missed we we didn't go back that that Boss Hogg finally got his gun when David was the distraction. Yeah, he did it. So Boss Hogg was able to get the gun. You're absolutely right. And shoots so, Michael Rye. So they're both hit. That's right. Michael Rye gets it. We see more blood from Michael Rye than we do from the, I remember because, the, one, I was focused on the sweater like you were because it's yeah, hot. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. two, yeah. he got blood in the sweater. So that sweater is done. Done. You don't <laughs> say sweater. You know what? First of all, because you, you know how that sweater is done? David didn't immediately start dapping it with cold water. Yeah, and no, it's done. You don't rub. People, never rub 
Yeah. Always dab because yeah. you want to bring it in there. But by the time he gets home, that's yeah, like he so. might as well just poured a jug of gallo wine on top of his thing <laughs> and just said, done. That, that sweater's gone. I don't care how much he paid for it. I don't care. It, it didn't look like a tonsurton kind of sweater because they had that. Remember those wild patterns? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's a, but you, like you, I was just fascinated by why yeah. are you dressed like this? And so he so, has he has David Addison held hostage by gunpoint. Threatening to... Threatening to blow his say, brains out if Boss Hog, doesn't, if Boss Hog doesn't turn himself in. And, and he's but, calling his name, and no, there's no response for a while. But why Why would Boss Hog even care? <laughs> See, that's because it's the writers seeing Boss Hog, Boss Bartender, Franklin Tate, the same way we're, the same way Maddie did. It, it's a narrative choice that yeah. doesn't sense we're supposed to be thinking boss hog is someone who would do something sweet when in fact we have had no indication of that whatsoever the only indication will be the ending but they're working backwards which they can't because it's supposed to be working narratively structured yeah. where it's supposed to be so this is a narrative misstep it is a character misstep because we're supposed he is treating him like maddie sees him that we've had no reason for maddie to believe to see him even though he seems to before he goes to shoot, it's like, I'm an old man. I'm done. This is this has not been a happy life. I just yeah. he even says, if you have a choice between dying slowly and dying fast, take the take the take express. The express. Yeah, because he is lamenting on a life not well led. And that's the only time near the end. But Michael Rye wasn't listening to that conversation. He's on the yeah. other end of that. Yep. He has no, all he knows is that this guy wants to kill him. So he has David held hostage at gunpoint and Eddie and Boss Hog gets the high ground somehow. Somehow, <laughs> two things here. Boss Hog looks like Boss Hog, even though he's actually Murphy Brown bartender, yeah. and he's jumped on top of a car. Yeah, and he's got the gun, and he's got a steady arm that isn't bleeding or anything. Yeah. That doesn't seem highly problematic. And he's like, "Well, if you shoot him in the head, I'll shoot you in the head, and the coroner won't be able to tell the brains apart." That, and you know, I'm thinking, I don't know, '80s coroner. I guess maybe they can't tell facial. <laughs> I don't know how sloppy things were back then. So, so it, it the it ends. The duel ends because, because the guy, the guy relents. The he throws his gun on the ground. Maddie picks up the gun. Maddie picks time. it up. Two episodes in a row. Maddie Maddie is quick with the gun. I mean, she she for someone who is a model and has never done this, she is just fast to get a gun. Here's yeah. the thing. Yes, I would grab a gun. I would not be comfortable with a gun. I'm not trying to make any statement like, oh, guns are bad. I'm just saying I've never held a gun. I want to know yeah. what to do. Huh. I would think that <laughs> contract killers probably have a favorite gun that they use to kill everybody. The same way so, baseball players have a favorite, favorite bat. I have a favorite so, pen I like to write with when I used yeah. to write, like when I draw with. I have a favorite pen. I have, uh, yeah, you always so, have a favorite thing of your task. You're right. So if this Michael Rye is this good contract killer and not, the fake one that we think his parents sent away for <laughs> to get him in the book. <laughs> that he's then, earned stripes. Then that sure. gun has killed so many people, and now her fingerprints are all over it. <laughs> Very good point. Wow. So what I like is what we're hoping, because as we keep stressing, we're watching this one episode yeah. a week, like we did in the old days when we had nothing to do but wait. Um, I'd like to think by season three, she's brought in by the cops. Yeah. She's tied into a murder. Because Boss Hog... I mean, I'm glossing over the nice moment that Boss Hog has with Michael Rye, but whatever. He drops his gun at the end, too, to walk off into the sunset like Incredible Hulk style. He drops his gun, then Bruce Willis picks up that gun. So now Maddie and Bruce 
are are responsible. Their fingerprints are on the weapons of, of like thousands of dead people. So many people are going to come in. Now, granted, we, you and I, have minimal knowledge of the contract killing business. In fact, everything we've learned from the contract billions has been by two episodes of Moonlighting and, and John Wick for me. But there is always the chance that contract killers will use a gun for that job and get rid of it. That's true. I understand that as well, because you don't want the tracing and the connection of various murders. So I'm going to go to the thing that these guns are going to get tossed. I don't now, know. Bus Hogs, Bus Hogs gun uh, looked like it was. Bus Hog gun was old school, and he had the perfect attache case with the perfect hole for the gun. Yeah. It's like the dad who decides I'm gonna do I'm gonna work in tools when I retire in the garage, and they get those layouts with the little cab where everything's supposed to be hanging up everything. But you know, dad's never using a hammer. Boss Hog has used this gun. You're right. So this is but Boss Hog does not when he finally has a chance, when the guy is vulnerable, when the right. guy is so vulnerable he's sobbing and pleading yeah. for his life. And this is the point where I began to go, cry acting is hard. It is. It was not the best Plus, cry acting, but I'm not gonna kept, point out. They kept going to his face. I will give him credit that yeah. they they were like, We need a hundred reaction shots from you because we yeah. can't keep the camera on Boss Hog the whole time. Yeah. So, so like we, they kept going back to him. Even, it's a two hander. It became a two hander. Even point. though he's not talking. Yeah. They had to keep going to his face of like scared he's gonna get shot. They had uh, that for a while. That's true. Like they, they pull cried. back with your arm when you think your yeah. arms kind of re- yeah. They're going to deflect bullets. And then uh, crying. Then Boss Hog gets his monologue. Oh, yeah. Uh, The tough, (laughs) sad life of what what you do when you're an assassin. And had Michael Rye actually been his son, he would not want his son following in his footsteps. It has not been a good life. I'm going to assume Boss Hog's death. I think we like Boss Hogs, even though clearly Murphy Brown bartender, not Sorrel Books, but it's easier to say Boss Hog. His death does not appear to be contract killer related. No. Unless at some point he got into a shootout in a place where the fumes were just so bad it, it infiltrated. Yeah. His, you know, maybe like way back in the French Resistance when he's blowing up munitions and things. Who knows what it is? Or maybe he had to blow up a poison factory. <laughs> um, I don't know what businesses were popular in the 80s. It's, uh, it was. I don't know. You just basically everyone's still making Rubik's cubes. And he tells him he wasn't there to kill him. He was never looking for it to kill him. He was there to give him the important lesson. Don't become me. Yeah. Don't take this path. Because one day you may be screaming inside of a laundry chute for weeks on end. <laughs> if Tim and- Robbins popped up out of like one of the abandoned cars in the thing covered in linens. <laughs> and just took <laughs> two guns sideways, John Woo style, as the doves scattered. That and then, you know, it's like better tomorrow plot. Like just everything that would have been again chef's kiss. Beautiful. But the writers, the creative show, want us to think well yeah. of boss bartender. Which is why they thought, of course, he wouldn't kill David, even though we didn't know that. And we had no right. reason to believe that. And Michael Rye, more importantly, the character had no reason to that. So false step there. Maddie was proven right in a way. I mean, this guy did kill hundreds of people. And even after being the French resistance, he killed them for money. This was this was a really over the top way of trying to get the the watchers to realize that not everyone is all bad. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Here, here's the note I wrote. I'm looking at the note, and the note is this: contract killers are just good folk. <laughs> They're just like you and me. Sure, they've they've done their bad things. We've all done our bad things. We sometimes, 
maybe we've cut in line in someone, or maybe we've mumbled our breath something unpleasant about an individual that we don't like, a person we don't like, or maybe, yeah, we've killed hundreds of people. I don't know. I don't know who's listening. I wrote I wrote a pilot once about a guy who couldn't get a job because he like didn't go to college or anything. And we're not knocking uh, on the college. No, right? no, but he just couldn't get a job. Right. So he signs up with a temp agency, and it's the last temp agency that like took his number and actually called him back. And like the first job he gets in the pilot episode is is assassin. Like the temp agency hires him I to like be that. an assassin. And so like that that reminds me of like the stupid idea of like assassins could be good people. <laughs> you know what? They again, I don't want to hang out with John Wick, but he likes his dog. Yeah. And he misses his wife. And he left it for that. And this guy is leaving it for, uh, well, he's leaving the business to die. So that it, even the reason he's leaving, it's like, you are going to die. But he does tell Maddie, who didn't want to, despite having her hair messed up, her dress ripped, and the business cleaning that was not going to cash the check because she thought it was wrong to cash the check from an assassin. I'm going to be honest. I see that point, but you are uh, an agency. Yeah. And he even says as he walks off, and over the shoulder, which shows the gravity, you know, he's just yeah, yeah. all the way to show the emotion impact. You cash that check. Yep. The and line before cash that check was also great, where he says, now I got to go die. <laughs> now I got to go die. Slowly, <laughs> as opposed to the fast way he wanted to, apparently. Yeah. And maybe he's going, he did pick up his, does he have his gun or they have both guns? They have both guns, right? They have both guns. David put, he's David took the gun from Maddie. David took the gun from Maddie and put it in his pocket. And then he picked up uh, Boss Hogg's gun. Right. And that's the last we see of the guns. And that's the last we see of the guns. And Boss Hogg, who I'm assuming probably has other guns. Yeah. But uh, one would hope so if you're in this business, you invest. I mean, <laughs> we're doing a podcast. We're not getting paid. And we both have mics. You invest in your work yeah. if you can afford it. So overall, a kind of oddly paced, oddly structured show. Yeah. Episode. Because... While enjoyable, I will say, not that this is what we're supposed to be doing, comparing and contrasting, rating and everything. I did enjoy the pilot more. Yeah. The second episode. It did. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, nothing... continually ranking as we go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Pilot so, was better. I thought the pilot was better. The pilot. So out of two episodes, this is ranked number two. Yep. Let's hope it, it doesn't continue chronologically. Yeah. Well, because we, <laughs> we don't want to see whatever's ranked 69. Okay. Yeah, it know. turns out episode 69 was the 69th worst episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as we've discussed, moonlighting the series has not become moonlighting the series as people know. There is not a frenetic pace yet. There is not fourth wall breaking. The closest we get to meta is how David keeps coming up with shows. Yeah. At the end, his last thing is a Broadway show about because everything is uh, transportation. It started with bus and parking lot with cars and yeah. then ends the Broadway show about trains. So essentially, this episode ends with David Addison creating Starlight Express. <laughs> Again, it was it was an oddly paced show. The second episode is where you see what what they're working with after the groundwork. And it stumbled, excuse me, stumbled a little. Not horribly so. I would. Clearly, I kept watching the show, you know, back yeah. in the day, and I would watch the third episode even if we were not contractually obliged, like a con like a killer, yeah. to uh, to watch the you know number three. What is number three? Do we even know the name of number three? I haven't even no, looked. No, I don't. I didn't look it up. Oh, we're what goes in? What goes in? Uh, Planet Hollywood. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is an odd episode where nothing stood out. I mean, clearly just a lot of pistols. Maybe the the flowers aren't enough because the, the flowers only happen because Tim Robbins. Maybe Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins <laughs> goes so, into the plant. Just in a laundry chute, like a half laundry chute, like where they bisect it so you can yeah. see inside. And he's just and there, shoulders tight against his neck, because you know, <laughs> just, again, blue because he's dead like Bob Newhart in the pilot episode. Um, I will also say something that we didn't mention. Yes. Could be a prop. The X-ray specs. Where did those come from? Yes, good. So, good idea. So, so Maddie, I forget what part of the episode. Maddie goes back into his office. I think and, this is a conversation where she says she's going to have dinner with. Uh, oh, she's going to have dinner with Boss Hog. Yeah, yeah. So she goes in, and he's right. turned around, right? So he can reveal them. It's the it's the big reveal. Yeah. It's the so he's, he's turned around in his swivel chair. He turns around to see Maddie, and he has X-ray specs on. And he does like a long look at her, and then he says. I guess you have a lead dress on or something like that, yeah, right? Which is, okay, cute yeah. joke. Yeah. Cute. Then later, at the end of that scene, he tries to see her with the x-ray specs. Yeah. Like, he does, like, a look down her whole body with the yeah. x-ray specs. So, um, I don't, like, again, this is, like, who is David Addison? Is he going to be the guy who's going to hit on Maddie and win her? Is or he is he a little on the sleazy aspect in that regard, or is that like I, I think she found the X-ray specs amusing, but it was weird that he then did it when she wasn't looking. It 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 amused her because when... then that's for him. That's yeah. not for the joke because right. then it's sort of like it's for the what? it's for the viewer. It's for the it's viewer. It's not even for which, David Addison. It's for which, the viewer. Which again, yes, this is a show that will later break the fourth wall, but in this case, doesn't work just like the dictionary didn't work. And just yeah. like, you don't want me to kill this guy didn't work. These were things that were outside the reality of the episode. And these are moments, and we've discussed this before, Lang, where you're watching something, you see the person writing the script at the typewriter. You hear the clacking of the, T's on mo- the keys on moments like this because it takes you out of it. Just like the dictionary, it's sort of like, are they dumb or do they think we're dumb? Do they want a gag that he was looking at it? But what is the gag's surface here? Pur- purpose? What is the gag's purpose here? But is that our closest to a planet Hollywood? Because there isn't a lot of, there isn't a uh, lot. Maybe the maybe the guns. So maybe, maybe that maybe that attaché case with the guns. From See, the... I like that because that was a very that you buy that knowing you buy that at the contract killer store. Yeah. You don't you don't buy that at a Brookstone. You no. don't buy that at a at a Samsonite. You don't buy, you know, you I don't know where attaché sharper is. image. Sharper yeah. image. You know what? Chance at a sharper image because sharper <laughs> had to have something particular. And they would go, you know, maybe for a gun, ha ha ha, no hair dryer. And it's like, no, that's that's clearly a six shooter thing. But yeah, so I think that's a because sharper image was big in the eighties. Yeah. It's when you get your catalog from Sharper Image and then International Mail. The sharper image one was fun, and then uh, then November around this time will come around. You'd be getting your Toys R Us catalog, and you start uh, searching things for your Christmas toys because, uh, yeah. or you know, Macquarie's or uh, whichever store was near you. And this was the time where it's funny because I remember doing that like around Thanksgiving with the circle. Whereas now, if you hadn't been thinking of Christmas, and it's what it is October twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. You're screwed. What I'm saying, <laughs> if you haven't bought your kid her gifts, you're screwed. Ah, uh, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I already know what I'm getting my cat, so I'm good. The The next episode is called Read the Mind, See the Movie. All right. I like that. They're good with titles. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm liking the titles. I mean, I especially like title pilot. You know, it said what it is. <laughs> Still excited. 
still yeah. in this. I still. Thank, I want, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I'm. I as I said, I think they at this point they've got a better hold of Sybil Shepherd of Maddie than they do of David. Yeah. Because Maddie works from being amused. She has to flip back from amused to exasperated to let's get this going. Yeah. And that is a believable character. Yeah. Because someone who would be working with someone like David would have to be that. Like if they're going to stick around them, they've got to at least find something amusing. But there's a point where they're just going to go, damn it, just do your job. And it's like, you're not going to do it. I'm doing it. Hence, I'm having dinner with Boss Hogg. But um, we hope you enjoyed the show. We hope even more so you enjoyed the podcast. And now stay tuned for your local news. Tonight on Eyewitness News, Escape from the Zoo.